you can't be too assertive. You can't be too sweet. You can't, you have to dress a certain way. If your skirt is too short, then you're too provocative. If your skirt is too long, you're not cute enough. You know, and the tone in your voice, the way you speak to other people, everybody is so much more critical of you as a woman. You have all of these insecurities and these things that you really have to think about. And it it makes it a lot more difficult. Hey, this is Sean Kernakin, and you're tuned in to Civil Action. This is the podcast of Cabotech LLP. We're a firm in downtown LA that does a lot of different work on the plaintiff's side. We do anything from insurance to personal injury, trial work to employment cases. And we put this podcast on so we can share with you what we are learning about the law. We try to cover a new case every once in a while. We're also going to try to bring on some guests soon to help you with your practice, to share some practice pointers that they have. And we also want to share some other things with you about women in the law and other interesting topics. Our weekly podcast is dedicated to important topics for lawyers and issues in the law. We have guests. We talk about recent cases. We talk about trends. We talk about practice areas. We try to help people be better lawyers and learn about the law. In some ways, you can look at this as a 15 to 20 minute law school class each week. Welcome back to Civil Action, the podcast for Cabotech LP. Usually I'm joined by Brian Cabotech, but today we have a couple of special guests and we have a special subject that we wanted to talk about instead of boring you guys with updates about cases that have come down from a court of appeal or things like that. We want to talk about something else that's important in the practice of law. And we have Anastasia Mazzello, one of our partners here, and Marina Pacheco, one of our newest partners here at the firm. And today we wanted to talk about the area of practice of our day-to-day lives that sometimes doesn't get enough attention. And that's about things like gender bias and family life, work-life balance and issues in in that area of our day-to-day lives. So hi, Anastasia. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having us on today. And Marina's, I think, been on the show a couple of times now. She has a couple of episodes where you might have heard her voice. Hi, Marina. Yep. Hi, happy to be here. Good morning. Yeah, so sometimes amongst ourselves, we talk about these issues in the firm and we figured why not you know, talk about some of these things on air and share our thoughts with people, share our experiences and, and maybe hear from others about how they feel about this. So, And we don't have a set format for this and uh, we figured this might be just like an open discussion that we can have. I mean, what, what's on your mind, Anastasia or, or Maureen? I'll turn it over to you guys. Sure. You know, when I was asked to do this podcast, I actually didn't expect to find some of the statistics that I did find that were actually quite shocking. I think a lot of us, you know, post Me Too movement and with gender bias being such a topic of discussion where it's acknowledged what a big problem it is, that we don't expect to see these statistics that are out there. And it's actually quite upsetting. I think looking at the statistics and the fact that women usually graduate from law school in the same proportions as men, and then comparing that to women who are equity partners or non-equity partners, the differences are shocking. And I think looking at these statistics is very helpful for everybody to really understand. I think none of us think, oh, I'm biased or I have any type of gender bias, but I think everybody and no matter man, woman, whatever your gender identity is, I think everybody needs to take a good hard look at these issues. So 
There was a recent report by the um, ABA, the American Bar Association, in, in 2021, and they did an analysis on when there would be expected to be gender equality in the legal profession. And based on the rate that we're going at now, again, as I acknowledged earlier, things have improved a lot, but they estimated that by the year, and this is not, I'm not misspeaking when I say this, 2181. Right around the corner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is the year that we, at the rate that we're going, if we continue to go at the rate that we're going, that is when we will see gender equality in the legal profession. What do we mean by that? Well, we're talking about the amount and percentage of women versus men in these higher positions, partner positions, non-equity partners. 22% of women in 2020 were reported to be equity partners compared to men, 22%. And and those stats don't match at all like graduation rates from law schools, right? There's more parity or equality in graduation rates, right? Exactly. And that's, that's exactly the point. It's not, oh, because women aren't interested in law, right? You could say that and think that, but that's not the case. Because if you look at the associate level in that same exact year, 47% of women were associates. So 47% women were associates and 22% equity partners. There's a huge difference when you climb up the ladder with promotion and retention of women. And what are those issues? Well, I think there's a lot of issues that we want, I want to talk about today. And I know Anastasia has a lot of insight on this, but I think what we need to do is we need to look at what is causing these stats, not just, oh, the stat exists, but what can we do to change that? And I think that's something that a perspective that we really, really need to look at um, if we do not want to wait until 2181 for there to be equality. Right. You bring up some really good points. I just had a question when you were doing, looking into the stats. I know that there used to be a really high percentage of attrition of women leaving the practice of law after five, six years, which I don't know if that accounts. I don't know if it's the same. And I don't know if that accounts for the very low percentage of women who make it into the leadership, leadership roles in, in law firms. And absolutely, Anastasia, that's a great point. And that is absolutely the problem is attrition. Women are leaving the profession. And the question is why? Why are women leaving? Well, I've talked to a lot of women throughout the years and I I hear the same things, the same reasons. Lack of flexibility, not being able to fit into a male-dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And because this practice has been dominated by males for a very, very long time, and we're trying to catch up here, and with having less women in leadership positions, where do the young women associates go for mentorship? How do they fit into the after work drinks with the men? How do they fit into that, not lifestyle, but that culture? And it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's almost kind of like a chicken and egg problem. It's like, there aren't enough because of how much worse it even used used to be. It sounds like there isn't enough mentorship. And the fact that there's so many males dominating the leadership positions as kind of, it sort of reinforced that culture of, well, it's a male dominated culture in the workplace at least. And so the attrition keeps happening and there's no easy way for, or a convenient way for women to get that type of mentorship, I guess. 
Well, what's particularly concerning to me is I've been an attorney for almost 17 years and I don't see based on these statistics that the progress has been nearly as high or as good as I would have hoped it would be. That's very concerning. Sad, actually. That have, I have, you, have you seen some change, Anastasia, in, in your time practicing? To be honest, you know, I've been here at Cabotech for 11 years and I was at a defense firm five years before that. So I think that I'm a little insulated because it is a smaller firm that, you know, we do have more of the flexibility and things that you would have like at an hourly billable firm. So I, I don't know much about my own personal experience has been better, but I know from talking to some of my friends who have been in this field for this long, they've either left the profession altogether. They've gone into government work where you get guaranteed vacation, guaranteed holidays off, which that's not generally how it works at most law firms. Or they've got in-house where, again, it's less pay, but greater flexibility, guaranteed vacation, you know, not answering emails 24 hours a day, those sorts of things. So I definitely have seen the attrition myself amongst other women in the legal profession who haven't had the opportunity to be at a smaller firm, kind of crafting their own way, their own path. And like anecdotally, I know that, I don't know, unless someone has the statistics on hand, but anecdotally, do you think that this is, is the issue more prevalent in like the plaintiff's world or in a particular practice area? You, you know, know honestly, you- I think the plaintiff's world has the advantage of, I know a lot of female plaintiff's lawyers and they have their own firm. At least after a while, they go off and, and form their own firm so that they can create the flexibility that they need to. And for the most part, because you have a family, that's not true for every female attorney, obviously, who goes and establishes their own firm. But certainly it's it's a big factor, I think, for a lot of women is being able to have that flexibility, create your own work-life balance, or I'll say work-family balance without it affecting your progress in a firm. Because kind of segueing now into a big deal is, I think personally, part of the gender bias comes from women having families and wanting to be home in the evenings, make dinner, put their kids to bed, and then do some more work in the evening. I know I did that for many years. I have two kids, one who's 13. So I've been a working mom for a while now. And that lifestyle of crushing it at work, coming home, taking care of the kids, and then going back to work at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, it's just not sustainable for a very long time. You know, it's, it's something that burns you out very quickly. And I have a sense that that leads to the attrition is not being able to keep it up. Because if you don't do your share of the work, if you aren't billing the number of hours that your male counterparts are, if you aren't taking advantage of the opportunities of, for example, maybe you have, maybe you were on a case where there's a bunch of -of out-of-state depositions and you have an infant, odds are you're not going to leave and your infant to go at these long depots. What if you're breastfeeding and now you've got to leave your infant for a week to do depots? So, you know, it's those sorts of things I think that make it more difficult for women to kind of find that work-life balance. I do think it affects other attorneys, maybe male and female, but it does affect their perception of whether you're working as hard as some of your male counterparts who are there, who are taking advantage of those deposition opportunities or going out in the evenings for drinks with male partners and establishing that bond. Women don't get those same opportunities or they're not alternative opportunities created for them to 
still be able to develop those connections with leadership. Yeah. And I'm a man, but I can also understand the need and desire to be able to do those things. I'm a father too of a young baby. And I, to this day, you know, being able to get home and do bedtime and and things like that are kind of priceless and, and precious. And to sort of expect one to sacrifice that is not fair. And it's difficult thing to do to make someone unreasonably try to like balance those things. So, you know, I probably can't even begin to fathom like how much of a challenge that is. But, you know, at least I hope I recognize how much of a desire there is to be able to do that, to provide in that sense for your family at home, for your child at home, whether as a mother or as a father, you know. Right. And I think it's a two-way street. You know, I think that male associates who want to be home with their family or want to contribute equally to the household and their, you know, whatever their wife is doing at home with the children and they want to be part of that. I don't think that men should have be biased against by leadership because of wanting that opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's changes in the legal profession and the culture in general that need to happen. I mean, again, I've been doing this a long time and I don't think I've ever seen a male associate ask for paternity leave. I don't know what that would even look like to leadership if a man said, hey, I want to take two weeks off for paternity leave. You know, maybe some bigger firms offer it. I don't know. But it's certainly something that should be offered everywhere. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of men do want to have that work-life balance. They do want to be home with their children or a new infant or whatever. And maybe don't feel comfortable speaking up and asking for it because it's just not the norm, you know, in, in law firms. I could say that that's not something that was, I think I was a partner at at the point that my wife had our baby, but I was a partner already at that point. So I kind of didn't go through that situation of as an associate asking for that, but still, I mean, the desire is certainly there and, and there still is culturally even pressure of, you know, Oh, like, Oh, you're going to take, you know, more than a couple of days or, the insinuation or the the thought I feel like at least from people in my circles or amongst males in in the practice of law and professionals like us is, well, that's like kind of a woman's thing to do. And it's like, well, not really. And not to just say like, oh, men also want to be able to be there and be a good dad and, and raise their child, but also allowing males, allowing fathers to support their spouse at home or partner at home who had the child to participate in that process eases the burden of the spouse, you know, oftentimes it's a, you know, usually male female relationship, but allowing the father to be home makes the woman's life easier. And and I think it creates more compassion and understanding amongst everyone in the practice within a firm, within a practice area. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, if we acknowledge that it is a difficult thing and it is an important thing, and we also give that sort of, kindness to men too. And the sooner we recognize that men also need that kindness too, the even better we'll understand that like, yeah, that's why this is so important for women. And that's why there needs to be acknowledgement. I don't know. Do you think that's a starting point? Uh, Do you think at least the starting point is like people acknowledging and realizing, truly realizing, you know, how difficult it is and how much compassion is necessary and how much understanding is necessary not just in the child situation, just, you know, equality in terms of what women need in the office Absolutely. context. I think that that's a starting point for sure. I do think, you know, your, your guys' generation of lawyers who are kind of coming up now and, and taking the reins at different law firms, I think that 
or I hope that you guys have a different perspective. And it certainly seems to me when we're hiring new attorneys that they no longer desire that lockstep partner path where, you know, it's a hundred hours a week or whatever to get there. I think a lot of people are not wanting that for themselves. And so I think that that's certainly one path. And part of that is giving, you know, male and female associates, maternity leave, paternity leave, things like that, that are helpful. I know my husband, I'll give one more personal anecdote and then we can talk about other forms of gender bias. But my husband works for a very large, very well-known corporation. They have all kinds of benefits, including a month's worth of paternity leave. And that was invaluable to me because it allowed me to go back to work and at least have the comfort knowing that my husband was there with the baby. So I went back to work like three or four months after Um, I didn't have a long maternity leave. You think that's long in theory until you have a child and it's not long at all. But he was then able to take a month off when I went back to work and it definitely helped. So I think that that might be something that might help women stay in the legal profession is if there was more paternity leave across the board, not just in the legal field, but, you know. Yeah, that's the point I was trying kind of trying to inarticulately make that, you know, the more we allow men to be able to support their spouses, you know, not to be locked into like a male female relationship necessarily, but the more we allow men to support their spouses, for example, the more females will be able to thrive in their professions and have that invaluable help as you described it. You know, I like to think not to speak for my wife, but she's also a professional. She's, she's a lawyer. And I spent about a a month at home when we had our baby and, helped as much as I could. And I, I, and I hope that she also found that invaluable and it allowed her to stay in her profession and stay focused when, when it was time to go back to work, allow her to stay connected, stay focused and, and do her work. So that's the point I was trying to make too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think also that when you provide the same opportunities to both the male and the female, when it comes to maternity, paternity leave, then it doesn't single out women. It normalizes the situation that, you know, you don't have to do that deposition out of state either, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have these other obligations that you want to do. And so it it really will help a better balance for everybody all around, I think. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think the culture has to change too, of making assumptions. I know that me personally, in the 13 years that I've been a mother, a lot of assumptions were made about me, what I wanted in my profession, what opportunities should be um, given to me, because there's the assumption of she won't want this case because it's too much work and she's a mom. So I'm going to be, I guess maybe in their minds, they're thinking I'm going to be nice and not even give her that chance or joining certain boards, getting invitations to have those opportunities are not even presented to me until I ask for them because I see my male counterparts getting them. So I have to speak up and say, hey, how come I wasn't considered for that? How come you haven't helped me do X, Y, and Z? And the response has always been, oh, I didn't know you wanted that because I know you have a family and that's important to you. Like I didn't think you'd have the time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me make that decision and how I want to spend my time and how I want to craft my career path. And don't make it for me by making that assumption. Like you're actually not being nice. You're actually depriving me of an equal opportunity. And I think that's a really good example of gender bias that people don't even realize that they have because that presumption or that assumption is not made, at least again, in my experience for male partners or 
male associates who are kind of climbing up the ladder. Um, Because even if they have children, they're still given that opportunity because they've got maybe stay-at-home wives or their wives make sure that the kids are taken care of with nannies or maybe they have an arrangement where, you know, they've worked out, yeah, I have a stay-at-home wife so that I can work 70 hours a week. Whatever it is, I don't see that that assumption is being made. Oh, I'm going to not give him this opportunity because I know he has a wife and kid at home. And it doesn't come from a bad place, you know. That's that's gender bias or a form of gender bias is a lot of times you don't even realize that you're doing it because you're still not thinking equality. You're still not seeing the genders as equal if you're making the assumption that, oh, she's got kids. I know she wants to be at home, so I'm not even going to offer this. Yeah. In fact, it might even come from a place of like, oh, well. I don't want to burden her with, you know, giving this opportunity or presenting this opportunity because I don't want her to feel pressured because I know if she has free time, she probably wants to spend it with her kids. And it's like, that's not a fair assumption. A woman should be the one that makes that decision, just like how the same opportunity is given to a man and they make that decision. And I think actually that's, it's funny that you mentioned that Anastasia, because I had to do my MCLE reporting recently. So I did learn a lot of different things through the, (laughs) the lectures. And one of them uh, talked about this exact type of bias. I think it's called affinity bias. Hmm. And it's where you make an assumption about somebody and you stop them from having an opportunity that they could have otherwise had by just assuming that you're, you have great intentions. You're trying to quote unquote, protect them in some way, but it's a way of, it's another implicit bias that affects people and what opportunities they have available to them. And I think that, you know, the way that we've thought about bias in the past is we think it's intentional and it's an evil person who's sitting there and wants to be, you know, just biased and not fair towards these other people. But most of these biases are completely implicit. And it really doesn't mean you have to have bad intentions. But if we don't take a good hard look at what we're actually doing and what the effect of those actions are, then, you know, it's going to be a 2181 before we Mm -hmm. see any good changes around here. That is true. I mean, you raise a good point. It's not, I think that a lot of people today have more awareness and they're trying to do the right thing. I mean, look, there's always going to be your blatant misogynists, right? (laughs) Just make really inappropriate comments and clearly think men are better than women. But also I think though, more so I should say it's headed in the right direction, but there's still this inherent implicit bias that, you know, it's just, I don't know, ingrained, I guess. But Marina, in your research, what other types of examples could you give us of gender bias? Because I think it's important to to distinguish it from sexual harassment. The two can certainly go together, but generally they're two different issues. Yes, that's a good point. Definitely um, do go together, but I think what we're trying to talk about today is bias and mostly implicit bias with, again, these biases that people have that they don't realize they have and what effect that can have on different people. So it's not like a a, a man saying like, oh, well, no, I've never treated women like that. It's not necessarily about how you've treated them, you know, you could be as kind as possible, but this is about implicit stuff that we might not even know about. I'll admit what you were saying, Anastasia, a moment ago about like giving those options, you know, that's not something that's in my, uh, you know, immediate, the front of mind, you know, it's something that I think about like, oh yeah, that is totally unfair or that is biased to not present someone an opportunity and just assume, well, I'm, I'm being good to them because they probably don't want to do it. They're going to feel pressured. They probably, if they have free time, they want to be with their kid. You know, that doesn't, you know, it's not at the front of mind. And, and until 
I hear stuff like this. Uh, so I guess it is important to talk about this stuff. So sorry, Marina, I, I, I kind of cut you uh, off there. You don't, you don't, it's not the front of your mind, Sean, because it hasn't happened to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I get that. No, I'm I kidding. That. But I mean, I think that's part of the issue is it hasn't happened to men that often or ever. So it's not something they think about until a woman brings it up. And I mean, that's a whole other thing is being an outspoken woman and drawing boundaries and creating the life that you want, the career that you want. A lot of men in leadership take a front to that. I don't know if they don't like it, but it certainly creates a perception of you that not that you're difficult, but I don't know. I've been told many times you're scary and, you know, oh my God, you know, your kids at home must be scared of you kind of thing. I'm like, I'm not scary. I'm just drawing my boundaries and I'm trying to tell you what it will take to keep me here because I'm valuable and drawing boundaries is part of what will keep me here. And is that something that you see like kind of that type of reaction or categorization of you? Is that something that happens even more so maybe because we're litigators, you know, you're, you're a litigator. Cause like, I feel like when it's a man that's being a zealous advocate, it's like, yeah, he's, he's tenacious when, when it's a, when it's a woman being a a zealous advocate, maybe saying the same exact things in in, in the same tone, they're thought of as scary, you know, or crazy or something like that. Does that something that you feel or come across? Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine a male partner telling a male associate or a male partner who is speaking up for themselves, not only in a case, but maybe just boundaries. And no, I want to take the paternity leave or no, I don't think that's fair that you're not giving me this opportunity. Or I don't think that's fair that you're treating a staff member member that way. I don't, I can't imagine one male partner telling another male partner or associate, Oh my God, you're scary. Like, yeah. In a serious way. I just don't yeah. see it happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's a, another example of biases and, and something that really also, if we're talking about women leaving the profession, another part of not fitting in quote unquote, or um, feeling so critical of yourself constantly, right? Because you can't be too assertive. You can't be too sweet. You can't, you have to dress a certain way. If your skirt is too short, then you're too provocative. If your skirt is too long, you're not cute enough. You know, and the tone in your voice, the way you speak to other people, everybody is so much more critical of you as a woman. You have all of these insecurities and these things that you really have to think about. And it it makes it a lot more difficult. And, you know, I think in, in my research, I did find that women reported that they would be just, put down for their mistakes that were simple, small mistakes, a lot more frequently than men. And they reported that they didn't feel heard by men. If they were to bring up something and then their male counterpart says, oh yeah, what about this? And then the boss goes to the male counterpart and says, that's a fantastic idea, right? So this whole thing of not being heard and not fitting in is is an issue. I mean, we've heard about, so we've talked a lot today about bias in the workplace, like your own firm, but what about the courtroom or opposing counsel or, you know, so kind of those third party factors? Yeah, I have some stories that I could share about that. But based on talking to all my female colleagues throughout the years, you would like to hope that these things don't happen. But I have had opposing counsel refer to me as, oh, I don't talk to these associates and refer to 
things that only apply to a woman every month that mm-hmm. uh, definitely should never, ever be uh, mm-hmm. referred to in any type of discussion whatsoever. Wow. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I had a, a colleague who they were at home, they had a, a child, they were on maternity leave and there was discussions of, oh, well, is her kid in college now that she's not here yet? Her kid must be in college by now because she's been gone for so long. But yeah, I mean, it, one of the craziest ones that I heard was a judge who actually physically tapped or slapped the wrist of a female and said, oh, wow. and said, you know, basically like, oh, well, I apologize, but you've been bad. Oh my um, God. Yeah. In yeah. front of other lawyers. And, <laughs> you know, wild. so yes, unfortunately it exists. Mm-hmm. Again, I think those are, <laughs> those are the exception more in the sense that these are not, these are the misogynists, right? Mm-hmm. These are the people right. that you're thinking, I can't believe these people still exist. Right. And exactly. I'm glad that there's less and less of them throughout the mm-hmm. years. But because yeah. of litigation. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no one wants to get sued. But. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, you know, we do some good in this world, yes, right? that's true, <laughs> that part. But yeah, so it's pretty incredible. Is there any studies that show that maybe male judges or, you know, male opposing counsel, let's say it's in front of a jury where, you know, the way that an attorney is treated in the courtroom, you know, it plays into the jurors' minds of what they're seeing or what they're hearing. Has there been any research into that in terms of gender bias in the courtroom? You know, I don't know directly about that issue, but I do know if we're talking about women being scrutinized more, Mm -hmm. right, it'll be the attire. You know, if the judge expects the woman to be in a skirt, she's wearing a pantsuit. What is wrong with her? She should not be wearing that pantsuit. Meanwhile, I could could show up like a slob and nobody will care. Like they they won't be like, oh, he's wearing that tie. Nobody's ever commented on my demeanor. Exactly. And men, they have a uniform, right? They have yeah. simple, if they, if they wear their suit and their tie, they're invisible in terms of their appearance, right? Nobody's going to look at that and say, oh my goodness, look at that shirt that he's wearing. Woman, I've been told you should start wearing skirts. I don't like it when you wear pants to work or your hair's tied back. I don't appreciate you tying your hair back. So some people, and unfortunately judges do have preconceived notions about what a woman should look like when she comes into the courtroom and absolutely it plays a role in the way that they're treated and the appearance in front of the jury. Right. And unfortunately the jury themselves sometimes have those biases. Right. So right. it's, you know, it's a problem. Right. No, I mean, I think that even as women lawyers, we're kind of trained starting from law school. There's a certain way you need to look to bring legitimacy or a sense of authority to your position. You should sound a certain way. You should look a certain way. It should be more on the conservative side And hey, if you're attractive, even better. But if you're unattractive or if you're too attractive, it's a problem. I mean, you can just think about the media, right? How they pick apart female attorneys. I'm just thinking of like Marsha Cross back during the OJ trial. She had like that perm or like hair or whatever. And who's the other? Leslie Abrams, I think. She did like the Menendez brothers trial, I want to say. I could be wrong on that. But I know that, I mean, again, that was early 90s, but the media went like crazy with how unattractive they were, how ugly their hair was. And you never heard that about a male attorney who's, you know, in the Yeah, no no one's writing stories about what Johnny Cochran was wearing or how he did his hair. Like, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So something else that I found really interesting that I I had never thought of before. And I think, again, like none of these things, I I don't think that we really think about these things day to day, unless again, you're in a situation where it, it directly impacts you. But 
the idea that because women feel like there's less room for them in an upper level, upper management level, women go against each other mm-hmm. because rather than sticking together, they think, oh, there's only 33 percent of the partners in this firm are, are, are a woman. And so th- there's limited spaces here. So then women will kind of look at each other and say, oh, wait a second, you know, this is my competition rather than, you know, talking to each other and trying to work together. And I thought that was really interesting because yeah. I, I never ever really thought about that, but I thought, or the idea that a woman is wants to fit in, right. And they want to be one of the boys. Mm-hmm. And so they'll try to be one of the boys, but what that does is they'll isolate themselves and turn away from the other women in the firm because they don't want to be seen as another woman. They want to be seen as one of the boys, one of the, the people who's in charge, one of the people who has control and fits into the culture. And I thought that was fascinating because I had never really thought about that. But I thought, oh, that is very interesting. It is. That is interesting. I mean, I know personally I've tried to bring women into the firm, try to mentor them, try to be understanding staff as well. And I've never been in a situation where it's been competitive, you know, pitting women against women. But I certainly, when I've been at, you know, a larger firm, I could definitely see that some of the women who were in charge are in partner positions. They were definitely one of the boys drinking, you know, at night, didn't have children, you know, going to football games, basketball games. And again, it it comes down to providing alternative opportunities to have that kind of bonding with leadership doesn't have to be going out drinking at night. It doesn't have to be sports games or whatever. I mean, create other opportunities, maybe during the day (laughs) that women will be more inclined to go, especially if they have families at home. So I think that would help at least in that situation. Absolutely. That's that. That makes sense. Or just be conscious of it and organically, you know, I feel like being more conscious of that reality of realities like this, of situations like this that we don't realize we as men don't realize occurs, I feel like being more conscious of it will force us, you know, drive us to organically, willingly come up with alternatives that are more appropriate and more accessible for everyone. That's why I think it's important to talk about this and hear this. Like there's stuff I'm, I'm learning now or realizing now, or might might be stuff I've realized before I've heard of before, uh, but you know, you kind of forget the stuff. And, And the more often you hear it, the more it's talked about openly comfortably. I think that helps. It makes a difference to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what sorts of solutions? I mean, when you were doing your research, Marina, were there any solutions or suggestions, recommendations that might help women stay in in the law? Yeah. I'm, so, you know, one, well, a couple of things. I think the biggest uh, two issues were promotion and retention. Mm-hmm. And again, that flows down from not having enough women in the leadership position. And when you don't have women in the leadership position, then you do not have a friendly female culture um, at, you know, wherever the firm is. But something that they talked about, kind of all the things that we've already talked about with flexibility and schedules, but also creating situations where you're doing a review of different associates at different levels and trying to make a comparison without taking into account if they're a man or a woman or um, whatever their gender identity is and looking at the facts, looking at the salaries, (laughs) the salaries, shocking. Mm -hmm. Every single level in 2021, every single level, women were making less than men at every 
level, whether it was the associate level, whether it was the senior associate level, whether it was the partner, either non-equity or equity partner, women were making less. And now do we think that's because women aren't as good? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. So I think, again, these inherent implicit biases come in and people don't realize it. So they need to look at it again, say, okay, I'm going to look at this person who's in X year and I'm going to look at this person in X year and compare their salaries, compare the things that they do and figure out, okay, let's give women more opportunities for promotion. Let's give women opportunities for mentorship. Those are the biggest problems. It's, I, I really couldn't believe it about the, the, the salary the pay disparity. I know there was a lot of litigation on pay disparity at some of the larger law firms. Um, I haven't heard much about it since, you know, in the last year or so. So I don't know if that means it's getting better or if those cases just went away in settlement or, or what happened. But I mean, it sounds like through your research, it's, there's still a huge pay gap. Yep. It's, it's actually, it's very, it's upsetting. I mean, I think, you know, I'm gonna give you one stat that I found here. Uh, it was for the year 2020, but, um, women were making, uh, as equity partners, 78% of the amount of compensation that their male counterparts were making. What? Wow. So even when you're, you've made it, right? Even at that like highest level. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Exactly. Yeah. There's still wow. a disparity there. So, you know, removing all the things that we can be biased about when we're making these evaluations can help. So one of the, actually, we're talking about just hiring in the first place. Um, one of the suggestions was, you send a resume, but you don't identify whether it's mm -hmm. a man or a woman. And you say, here is the resume of this person, their experience. Mm -hmm. And then you make your hiring decisions based on just that, or at least the initial decision of, do we want to interview this mm -hmm. person? Right. And, and then we're not allowing our biases to come into play mm -hmm. that way. Now, they had mentioned in one of the like, articles or studies or something that I read that for orchestras, they would do a blind audition. Mm. And so if somebody's coming to be first chair as a violinist and they, they go in for the audition, well, they wouldn't see if it was a man or a woman. And women would take their high heels off mm. when they walked across the stage. So they the judges would not know that they were a woman. <laughs> but kind of that same idea applied to all areas of mm -hmm. the firm, I think, taking out any of our implicit by any any factor that could lead to us having any bias, whether we're, you know, have good or bad intentions. And we remove that from the situation when we're talking about promotion, when we're talking about hiring, those types of things. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. I thought that was an interesting proposal. I like that idea. And it, it could probably, that's a whole different subject that's also worthy of extensive discussion, R racial bias and things like that. It, it can it could probably help with that if you look at resumes anonymously and writing samples anonymously, you know, so you can't tell someone's gender identity from their name or their possibly their race or background from their name. So that's, that's a great idea. Speaking of hiring, it kind of, you know, leads me back to the point I was making about making assumptions about maybe what women want in their career or what, you know, in the hiring process, I don't know if there was anything anecdotally, but in evaluating women associates to come into the firm, is there an inherent or implicit bias? Like, oh, maybe it's even expressed openly, you know, oh, this woman, she's 30, 31 years old. Is she going to want to go have kids? 
you know, you hire a male associate instead because there's not that fear like, oh, well, he won't work for a year and then go on maternity leave for four months. I don't know if that still exists. I mean, it's certainly something that I've heard expressed, not just by, you know, men in charge of hiring, but also women in charge of hiring, that it's a factor and you either say it out loud or you don't. But I mean, I think most law firms want to hire someone who's going to work X number of hours and not then leave to start a family or even hiring women who already have a family. There's that assumption like, well, she's not going to want to work 60 hours, 70 hours a week. She's not going to do trials or whatever. So again, I don't know if that's just something that's people's individual experiences or if that's something that kind of plays into the hiring process, maybe if you don't even think about it. Yeah, I I didn't read anything about that, but I mean, I would say almost certain that that occurs. Mm -hmm. But I also think, like you said, it's one of those things that nobody talks about. So I don't think it's reported. Nobody's going to say, oh, I didn't. I mean, it's illegal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't hire this For starters. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So it's not talked about, but, you know, playing into the same idea of the affinity bias that mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, making assumptions and saying, oh, I want to protect this person or quote unquote, protect this person right. Right. from, you know, what they need for themselves and making that decision. Um, but having these discussions is, is crucial to making these changes because, Before I was asked to do this podcast, I actually was very surprised with what I found. I thought that there had been more progress made, really, and it was actually kind of upsetting. But I'm, you know, very pleased that we're having this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. You can't assume that every woman wants to have children. So, you know, it's another reason why you should treat everyone with equal opportunity and equal mentorship um, is not to make those assumptions about all women, because that's certainly not not the case. I was going to say for, from any gender's perspective, right. all of this type of thinking is ironically incredibly short-sighted. The r- rationale, whether it's implicit, subconscious, or it's overt to not hire a woman because you think she's going to have kids and like go off for a year and be too busy with raising a family is like incredibly short-sighted. You're literally blocking yourself out from tapping into the potential of half of the population out there of women because yeah what if they do go off what if they have a family and what if their family is a priority for them or or it's one of their priorities if you are accommodating to someone like that they will reciprocate i mean don't you want to have a good team i feel like it's short-sighted to not hire someone based on factors like that or not give them the opportunities because of that i, I just think it's it doesn't even make business sense to think that way You know, in the short term, maybe, yeah, but if you're looking to build a good firm, good relationships with people, even if it's someone that, even if they do go off on their own, especially in our world, in the plaintiff's world, it's a tight-knit community, don't you want to be known as someone that treated someone fairly and and maintain that good relationship and maintain a good reputation in the community? I mean, I just think it's short-sighted to think this way, too, so. Yeah, and above that, you know, it hurts business, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it shows that a, a diverse team is, is going to be a more successful team, period. Everybody has unique perspectives to bring, yeah. right? And if we're cutting out this entire perspective this of the gender, that's really yeah. going to affect things. And, and again, I mean, I don't think any of us would think that any of this is because women aren't good enough for any of these things. And if we continue to go on this track, we're going to lose a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be really bad for a lot of law firms. Right. And I do think it needs to continue to be an open discussion and continue to try and come up with solutions to retain women 
I know that some of the solutions I've heard in the past, I've also heard don't really work. So for example, there's some law firms that have, um, you know, you can reduce your work schedule. You know, maybe you only do 75% of your billable hours, but you make 75% of your pay. But from what I've heard, I was told never take that deal because you're going to still do 100% of the work, but you're going to get 75% of the pay. So it seems like it's something that will help a woman, particularly, I keep going back to women with children, and that's a big factor, but certainly not for every woman again. But for working mothers, I know that that is a track that's offered to them at some places. And it doesn't really work because you're back again doing what I was mentioning earlier. You're working all day maybe three quarters of your day, you go home with your family and then you're back on the clock because you still have the same caseload. You still, you know, maybe your billable hours are less, but it's certainly not something that's sustainable. So I don't really know of what solutions are out there that would really work. I mean, job sharing is another one, but I don't know how realistic that is for cases. So. Yeah. I mean, I think the more we talk about it, the more we can all put our heads together. Mm -hmm. You know, we just need everybody on board. Yeah. And really people who don't think they have biases, they need to take a good hard look Mm because I think we all have biases. Sure. You know, regardless of what they are, but that, yeah, that'll make things improve. Yeah. And I mean, really going to that point, that's why mentorship is so important Mm -hmm. because I've had experiences when I first started out and I didn't know what to do or how to react. And really finding a mentor and Anastasia has been a great mentor to me Aww. and an inspiration really. Cause I, I want to have children one day and it, she does it like she, she can do it. And that's sadly the way that we think as women is it's possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And seeing that, but finding that mentor is tough. And mm-hmm. if you don't have somebody to lead you through these unfortunate situations where people are treating you differently and you have no confidence as a first year lawyer, right. you know, I can see why women leave. Yeah. No, I I mean, I think there's just a lot of issues across the board. But like you said, we are making progress. If we could just make it faster, that would be great. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot more to talk about. And and I know off the air, we've talked about kind of doing maybe a series on on issues like this. And I think that that would be good. That would be fun to do. So if anyone out there has feedback on this or would want to talk about these things, you know, please. That would be awesome. And, and I appreciate you guys letting me join this discussion and be a part of it. And I'm lucky to get to work with you guys. So thank you for sharing your perspective with me, both on the air, off the air or whatever. So I really do appreciate that. Well, thank you, Sean. And thanks for having us on and talk about these important issues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and making thanks it Marina for doing more research and blowing my mind that the <laughs> stats are the same after 17 years. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very sad. I, I had the same I mean, we got to talk about it. We got to hear it. You know, that's yep. at least one of the first steps is is knowing how, how bad it is. So, so Absolutely. thank you for doing that. And, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Hey, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. This is Brian Kavitek. You can reach me at bsk at kbklawyers.com. And I'm Sean Kernick, and you can find me online at sk at kbklawyers.com. And as you might have guessed, our website is kbklawyers.com. You could find us on all social media platforms at Cabotech LLP. 
We like putting on the show. We appreciate you listening. If you can go online and like us, give us ratings, follow us on all the different platforms. If you know someone that practices in a particular area and you, you think they might find this useful, feel free to share it with them. And feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, if you want to bring an interesting case to our attention, you have a potential case you want advice on from us, we'd be happy to help you out if we can. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you.